welcome to Per Contra with Tijuana and Squint. Hello and welcome to Per Contra with Tijuana and Squints. I'm Tijuana and I have Squints with me here. And today we're going to be talking about something that will hopefully shed some light on some of our opinions and why we think the way that we do. And that is what makes a movie good. So we'll talk about what makes a movie good in general and then some specific things that we think that makes certain movies great. So before we get into that, um, speaking of good media... I want to talk about some of our lesser-known favorites um, and why we think that they should be more well-known. So if you have a lesser-known favorite, book, comic, webcomic, movie, show, whatever, um, that you want more people to know about and be able to talk about with, uh, here's your opportunity to do so. And I'm going to start out with Squint's opinion on uh, lesser-known media that he wants to promote today. So my choice today is a it's a movie called The Void. Um, you know, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head when it came out or who directed it. It's a really small movie. Um, when you're watching it, you can tell that the budget was small. There's not a single actor in the movie that I've seen in anything else before or since. Um, but it's a really small, really good cosmic horror flick, um, that has some really awesome practical effects, some really awesome body horror. Uh, it's got a really awesome, like interdimensional presence. There's a, uh, cult facet to the movie and it's one of those that really hits cosmic horror on the head for me in the sense that it gives you just enough of like just enough of the monsters just enough of the lore to keep you interested but not so much that you know everything about it or that you know how to beat it or you know where it came from like it it gives you it gives you something to question. It gives you a mystery to solve without making a movie that makes no sense, which I feel like is a big problem. It's a it's a really hard thing about cosmic horror. So if you consider yourself a fan of cosmic horror and HP Lovecraft and you're, um, you're looking for something like that to consume in the form of visual media, The Void is a fantastic, fantastic pick for that. In my opinion, I highly recommend it. Cool. All right. And just as a fun fact for you all, um, Squints is currently writing a book, a Lovecraftian book um, for that also would, I'm sure, um, fill that need for creepy space tentacles that you guys love. Um, so if you would be interested in hearing... Um, some little blurbs from his book or any of our writing, um, let us know. It's something that we've been considering talking about on the show um, is highlighting some of our own writing that we've done and media interests as well as yours. So if you have, if you would like to hear that, or if you have any writing of your own that you would like to get some exposure for, um, let us know and we'd be happy to fill that need. So for today, my 
lesser known media that I love is Ping Pong the Animation. It's a really cool and interesting sports anime that's definitely a far cry from typical sports anime um, in a sense that it's not so much about ping pong, but more so about life. And it's a very psychological show um, that really is introspective and has extremely relatable characters um, and an excellent, excellent story. It's really short. So if you're looking for something to watch over a weekend or if you can't sleep and you just want to watch you just want to get a good story in i definitely recommend looking up ping pong the animation um it's influenced my writing i still think about it from time to time uh, because the characters are so deep and they do so well with a short amount of time um, in that show so check that one out if you're a fan of anime and if you're a fan of introspective media i would like to point out that Tijuana has been telling me to watch that exact show for like going on like two years, probably, man. And if I'm being totally honest, I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> and um, I think just in our recommendations of lesser known pieces of media, you can kind of see the the differences we have in some of our key interests. Um, you know, my mind being a cosmic horror movie versus his introspective uh relatable like sports anime and it might get take just as much prodding to get him to watch the movie i suggested as it is going to take him to get me to watch what he suggested um but that's part of what makes our conversations so much fun to have i think right and of course the recommendation is just that and um you want someone to enjoy the <laughs> the thing that you're sending their way not be forced to sit through it so um i i think that would be a fun little thing to do is uh kind of trade recommendations and then talk about them on the show so maybe we should each watch our thing that we recommended and then give our um a little bit of new uh greenhorn opinion about it i think that might be fun so yeah, that uh that could definitely be fun. Uh that could be a cool thing to do in a future episode. So, if you want to hear about that, let us know. Um but for now, we're going to be talking about what makes a movie good. Um and I guess just to start off, um I want to address that movies, art, and anything that appeals to our emotions to kind of create a reaction within us that then becomes a memory is these things are all abstract and can't necessarily be broken down into a good or bad as far as technicalities go. Um, but we're going to do our best to help you guys understand what we think makes a movie good with technical terms and with um, those kind of things that are subjective. Um, but I also want to make sure to discuss rule breakers and things like that, because there are plenty of 
movies and TV shows and such that don't follow the guidelines that we're talking about that I think we both would still consider to be good movies. So um, I take this more as what can contribute to making a better movie versus only good movies always have these things. So I want to start the discussion by saying um, this and um, get your opinion on it, Squints. Um, by to me, a good broad starting point on what makes a movie good is that it creates an, an emotion within the viewer and that is like a memorable emotion um and to me there of course you know a movie can be sad and just because it's sad doesn't mean it's good but um to me the best kinds of emotions that you can that you can receive from partaking of media um would be one of two and and one would be um self-understanding and the other would be self-motivation uh, to change or uh, to do something else. Um, being relatable in a movie uh, helps you kind of fulfill a lifelong pursuit of understanding yourself. And so, always, and so it, I feel like it's always appreciated to be able to have help with that goal um, from something that's kind of digestible and broken down in an enjoyable way that you want to watch it versus just reading a self-help book or something like that. And um, the same can be said for motivating you. Um, when something is able to strike a chord within you to help you understand yourself enough to where you understand something about yourself that needs to change, uh, that not only makes something memorable, but... I feel like will always create a good reaction within you to where you you learned something and um, wanted to change because of it. Yeah, I I totally get what you're saying, and I think that <clears throat> excuse me, I think that um, a lot of movies that evoke that like true emotional response. Right, I'm talking the emotional response between. Like the difference between thinking like, oh, a dog died, that's sad, versus my dog died, that's sad. Like there's a difference between those two types of sad, right? And so when a movie can emo evoke that real emotional response where you're almost empathizing with the characters and with what they're going through, it's because the the hurdle the obstacle, the the trauma that these characters are experiencing is relatable, right? And like you said, a lot of the time it can be because it causes some introspection and causes you to want to be better or because it causes you to like identify and remember a similar situation in your own life, right? And I think that a lot nowadays, especially um, as movies continue to grow in popularity, I think that it's become a lot more common for messages like that to be hidden in movies. 
Um, and I find myself particularly, and obviously this isn't going to be true for everyone, but I find myself not being engaged by movies that don't have a deeper message, right? Something that's just a real black and white, good guy beats bad guy story doesn't hold my attention a lot of the time. You know, if I don't have characters with flaws and obstacles outside of how am I going to save the day, I lose interest a lot of the time because I can't identify. I can't with that kind of um, that kind of story. Right. Yeah, I I think. The, what my mind pictured as you were explaining that was kind of the difference between like a, a kid's show and uh, a show or movie geared more towards an older audience. They're going to have harder to digest themes within those shows because now that we've had more experiences in our lives, we're older. The those those are the kind of things that we're going to be thinking about more often. Um, where that whereas that might go over a kid's head and to break it down even simpler a baby baby food is like already smushed up for you so you you know the child doesn't have to worry about chewing it it's just right down the hatch most efficient way of telling the story and um i think that this point especially will help to understand our criticisms of the marvel cinematic universe better because this is kind of what we're referring to when we're when we're criticizing uh the villains and the characters in these movies is that they're oftentimes one-dimensional and it leaves us wanting something more from them that it, it would be like if you got to know someone and they're they never they never made you feel anything. They were very bland. They didn't. They talked about the same thing over and over again. They weren't someone that you really wanted to be around because they weren't benefiting you emotionally or making you happier because you weren't growing together. And so if you think about that relationship with a movie character as a friendship, you want the you want the movie to be giving to you. But you also are giving effort into the movie where you're where you're searching for these meanings, where you're putting that effort into where you're wanting to understand more about it. And then in return, it rewards you with with something that you learned and you're able to to grow from. Yeah, I totally agree. And to take it back to your analogy about baby food, right? The harder you've got to work at like making dinner. I feel like the better it tastes, especially like if it comes out good, right? If you work your ass off and it's crappy, it's crappy. But if you work your butt off to cook a really amazing meal and it turns out, you are like, wow, I'm a chef. This is amazing. And similarly, when we have to work really hard at a movie to identify the big pivotal story points or character progression moments, when we reach that payoff, it feels so much more worth it. It feels like we earned it, right? Versus it being given to us. Um, one of the examples I can think of uh, to to jump into uh, some examples from film, uh, I recently, and I think I mentioned it in, in another episode, but I recently watched, rewatched Pacific Rim, okay? And we've both seen that, and it's bad. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not good. 
right? <laughs> it's it's beautiful to watch. Um, and I I watched it because who doesn't like watching Godzilla get punched by a giant robot? But the movies themselves are bad. And that movie is directed by Guillermo del Toro, who is one of my favorite um one of my favorite directors of this era. And one of the reasons the movie is bad is because they tell you everything versus showing you anything, right? And so take, for example, the epiphany in the movie that these kaiju aliens are like hive mind controlled drones, essentially, coming from this other dimension and being sent by these other beings. There is a character that literally tells you all of that information. He verbalizes, oh, they're a hive mind. They're being controlled. These are just drones. The attack force isn't even coming. He tells you everything. And so you just sit there and just listen to that and take it in that way. Versus um, take another film directed by Guillermo del Toro, uh, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, um, which I personally love. I know a lot of people didn't like it, but I loved it. Um, not as good as the first one, but still great. In that movie, there are two characters, twins, brother and sister. And whenever one of them gets hurt, the other incurs the same exact injury, right? But they don't just say that in the beginning. Um, you watch it happen. You know, the, the brother gets into a fight and he gets his cheek cut and the camera pans over to the sister and we see the same cut appear on her cheek. And we can see that she's feeling the pain from that cut as if it was just given to her directly. And so that small example from two movies by the same director, I mean, that's just a small thing, but show versus tell sets a tone for a movie and sets a tone for how much work you have to do as a viewer. And so it sets a tone for how much you feel like you earned the payoff. Right. Yeah. And this is a perfect time to talk about my, my point that there's not always a one right way to do everything. So let's talk about the matrix for a second. Um, I love that movie. Just to Great just to movie. start off, I just want to mention that I love the heck out of the Matrix. Um and when you were talking about the they tell you everything um thing from Pacific Rim, um I thought of the iconic Matrix scene um where Neo is getting explained what the Matrix is. And um I, it's, you know, it's right there and it's basically being told to him in a big empty room what the Matrix is and that, you know, they might as well be talking right to the camera uh, about, you know, what the Matrix is because they're just telling us. But the difference between that is that as, as the movie went on and as we got to know Neo as a character and as we kind of related with him, we went through this journey with Neo to try to figure out what the Matrix is. And all along the way, we were shown little bits and pieces 
and given little clues so that when they finally did just sit us down in a big white empty room and tell us what the matrix was it was mind-blowing it was so memorable and like i said it was iconic you know of holding up the battery and saying you know humanity has been turned into this like that that scene is perfect i wouldn't change a thing about it um even though they're just telling the audience what the matrix is and so there's there's a difference between you know never do this and how to do this and i think one of the big one of the big reasons like take that line in specific where morpheus says you know human beings have been turned into this and he holds up that double a battery yes he is telling neo human beings have been turned into batteries but he doesn't say the words human beings are batteries right Mm -hmm. and so there's still that element of showing and there's a really fine line i think that as a storyteller um you have to walk between telling and showing right because it's not going to be possible to show everything every single time right and maybe you don't want your readers to have to be sherlock holmes the entire time they're reading your book or the entire time that they're watching your movie but you've got to make them work a little bit right it's it's like if someone were to blindfold you put something in front of you and they were to say that's dessert but then you eat it and as you eat it you realize that it's a cookie right versus someone just telling you that that's what it is like they Mm -hmm. told you what it is in essence and then through your experience you learn what it really is for yourself right and i think that's what the matrix kind of does and that's what makes that first installment of the trilogy such an iconic beautiful movie and the reason part of the reason that it shaped science fiction that we know now yeah totally it's and the the other thing to mention about that is that is if we want to stick to the analogy of you know i guess digestible storytelling that you still have to work for the matrix does create that emotional reaction within you um, even though they deliver it in a a traditional way Uh, because they they have an amazing message which in the case of the matrix is believing in yourself i would say that the story of the matrix is really about believing in yourself or learning to believe in yourself like neo does and they wrap it in this beautiful package of existential thought as you're kind of tearing apart this package to get to the prize inside you're you're having to go through like what is the world that we live in what is society what are these things that i've kind of based my whole life on that are real and now i'm kind of challenging these things and you know just because that package with that amazing prize inside got got delivered to you at you know non amazon prime just regular old traditional ups truck coming to deliver it to your house doesn't mean that you know the prize was bad the the delivery sure was pretty normal but how you know how you were able to unwrap that that package to me is is i think captures what you're saying is is how the matrix changed changed science fiction right and it's 
it's one of those films that you can sit there and pick apart and you can find so many things that that movie did arguably perfectly for what its goal was, right? Obviously, it's this sprawling action epic, but like you said, there is a deeper story there and there's a lot of subtext about believing in yourself and about how others believing in you helps you to do that, right? We have this very um, Messiah reminiscent story in the Matrix when we think about the character of Neo, right? And obviously that's on purpose, but we have to consider also that without people like Morpheus and Trinity having faith in Neo, he would never have had faith in himself and been able to become the one and do all of these amazing things that he did for humanity right and so that subtext that um subversion of expectation the fact that there's a smaller uh, more personal story present within this sprawling epic is what really helps drive home the emotional connection that you feel to Neo as a character, as a person, versus uh, just this, um, you know, this uh, kung fu master who's doing flips and shooting guns and whatever. He's more than that. Right. Yeah, I, I think that the relatability in a story is the kind of the key to being able to unlock that i guess that work that we have to that we have to do for that because it it has to be a road that we're able to walk it has to be something that we can that we can work for because we want to right the the prize is waiting for us if we're willing to to go to do that work for it um, as you've been talking, another movie that I thought of um, was The Breakfast Club. Um, because of that relatability aspect, just about everyone has been to high school before, right? And so the the victory scene at the end, I guess, um, the the super famous fist pump from John Bender walking across the the football field that's kind of like like i like like the morpheus scene super iconic and and memorable that came about because of how much we were able to relate with his character and kind of finally overcoming the stereotypes and overcoming the 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 difficulties of of trying to be yourself in high school and fit in and be able to have the things that other people seem to get so easily and and all the little things that um, we were trying to come to the conclusion of, it was you know it was shown to us there, and I I I feel like we were able to all all walk that journey with the characters in that show, and finally come to the end with them, where we were like, yeah, I felt that too. I you know I want to do a fist pump too. I want to stand up and start giving a round of applause in the theater because you know I feel that. Right. And I think that, you know, The Breakfast Club is a beautiful movie to exemplify actually one of the points that I wanted to talk about as far as storytelling, 
um, if you look at The Breakfast Club, there's not this like overarching uh, narrative, right? Like they're not trying to escape and run away from detention. They're not trying to, uh, you know, get revenge on the principal for giving them detention. And so what we have is we don't have a, a movie where the narrative is driving the characters. Instead, we have a movie where the characters are driving the narrative, right? And because of that, it forces the writers and director to have fleshed out complete characters. And that's what allows us to identify and empathize with them, right? Like like you said, everyone's been to high school and everyone knows what it's like to struggle through high school. Most people even know what it's like to go to detention. And when we watch The Breakfast Club, there's the criminal, the jock, the princess, the basket case, the nerd. And like there's a there is a character for everyone in that movie. One of those characters will define you, right? Or will uh will identify with you, will um kind of mirror who you were or are. And that's part of what makes that movie so timeless is it's relatable always and forever, right? And we see, I see anyway, a huge contrast between um, something like The Breakfast Club compared to like Pacific Rim or The Avengers where the characters in The Breakfast Club are driving the narrative, right? right. Like the movie, the movie could not progress if all of those characters just decided to sit stagnant in detention and not engage with each other and not talk to each other versus Avengers or um, Pacific Rim where you have this outside inciting event that drives the characters to then take action, right? The only reason that Iron Man exists is because there's this evil in the world, right? And so it's hard for me to identify with that motivation because I don't know what it's like to be the hero, right? But I know what it's like to be the nerd or the basket case. And so when you watch those movies, there is more real emotion evoked like we talked about before. Right. And if when you're writing a story, if you think about who's going to be reading it i feel like that's kind of your first step into understanding what makes a movie good is okay i have this story that i need to put together and how can i make it good i need something that's going to be eye-catching i need something that's going to be flashy and memorable and cool and um in looking for those things that are going to catch people's attention you i think sometimes can get lost in trying to figure out which like trying to figure out those people who are going to be watching and understanding and funding your your endeavor in the first place and i i think that i think back to our discussion on the marvel cinematic universe and i think what what a missed opportunity 
imagine if each of the Avengers felt like the characters from The Breakfast Club. Imagine if there was an Avenger for each of us. That when we saw that movie, we were like, yeah, that's how I feel. And we could not only relate to them because we like their aesthetic and we like how they kick butt, but also because they understand me. They're going through what I've gone through. And so that's, you know, why I'm rooting for them to to defeat whatever it is their narrative is, is because, you know, it's almost like I want to know how I can get through my life. You know what I mean? Yeah, completely. I I mean, I I watch the Avengers movies and I don't think to myself like, oh, I'm I'm definitely a black widow, you know, because I I'm not hot with no emotions. Right. Or I don't sit there and watch <laughs> Iron Man and be like, oh, that's me because I'm a billionaire whose only problem is my guilty conscience. That's not me. I can't identify with that. Right. I can't sit there and go oh, I'm Bruce Banner. I'm a genius whose only issue is that I have anger problems. I have more flaws than that. I have more struggles than that. And so when I have a character who has none, you know, aside from this like epic, bombastic, world-ending thing to stress about, it's hard for me to identify with them. And again, like we've mentioned, they're they're really fun movies and i i will fully admit that sometimes i put them on because visually they are really striking but that's that's pretty much it you know i don't watch them for the story or the characters because i could go watch the breakfast club instead i could go watch the matrix instead i could go watch lord of the rings or parasite instead if i wanted something that's going to evoke an emotional response because of that character driven narrative right yeah and i think that you know as we discuss these movies that the audience here will be able to a little bit understand a little bit more like what we think makes a movie good and that is it, that it's a little bit more lasting because if you want to talk strictly relatively as far as superhero action movies go the marvel cinematic universe are those movies are good they're good at what they do they're successful but to me what a good movie is is one that i think back on fondly and that i remember and it stays with me as we were talking i was thinking of the movie the sum of all fears yeah i don't know yeah okay so you've seen it so um i when i first watched that movie i remember i was sweating when i was watching that movie because it definitely got an emotional reaction out of me um because in the movie if you guys aren't familiar um it basically is a teetering balance that is hopefully kept of potential all-out nuclear warfare. And um, it's kind of one guy's journey on trying to keep uh, everyone from launching those nukes and um, annihilating the world. And it's very intense. It's definitely uh, an intense movie. It's a thriller. It's action-packed, edge-of-your-seat kind of movie. Um, But, man, 
I watched that movie not that long ago. It was probably about a year and a half ago. Um, and I, I can't remember any of the characters. I really don't, you know, I, the, there was like a very president of the United States type of president guy. And there was a very action hero type of action hero guy. And that's about all I've got for that movie, even though it did create that reaction in me. Um, it wasn't lasting. Right. And I, I totally agree with you. And I think that there are a lot of movies out there that create or elicit a reaction that is extremely fleeting or temporary, right? You've got movies like the sum of all fears or, um, Armageddon is another one that came to mind for me when you were talking about it. Like I think about that movie and I know Bruce Willis is in it. Couldn't tell you his character's name. I know yeah. Liv Tyler is in it. Couldn't tell you her character's name. However, I remember that feeling of tension watching the movie. And I remember finishing the movie and being like, wow, that was really intense. That was a sad ending. And then I moved on, right? Versus a movie like Parasite, where I finished the movie and I was like, holy crap. And I couldn't think about anything else for like three or four days, you know? Or I think about The Breakfast Club and just talking about it now makes me want to go find it on a streaming service or steal the DVD from my dad so I can watch it again because every single time I watch it, I get the same emotional response, right? Versus Armageddon, I know how that movie's going to end and I just kind of watch it. Granted, I know how The Breakfast Club is going to end too, but there's something about it that makes me feel that movie the same way I felt it the first time I watched it. And Armageddon doesn't do that for me, right? And I think that's where, for me, the the Marvel movies were a bit of a disappointment for me in the sense that watching them in the theater with the surround sound and the big screen is so, so epic. And you really, like, you can feel like a superhero and then the movie ends and you leave and you don't anymore, right? Whereas as some movies that really get you thinking and feeling, you leave the theater and like you're having dreams about that movie still because of how it impacted you. Right. Yeah. The And I think that that personal effect is really what... Um, I guess you, this could all kind of boil down to is, um, you know, if you were to ask me to explain what makes a movie good in a, just a few words, I don't know if I'd be able to do it, but the best that I could do is probably just simply to say what makes a movie good is that it speaks to me personally. And and so in order to find a way to do that, to speak to many, many individuals on a personal level, is you use these 
relatable catalysts, oftentimes in the form of characters, to show different lenses on this world that the movie is creating. And so you get to experience the world through the eyes of these different characters or reach the end goal, follow the narrative, and learn something about yourself because you have this path that's carved out for you through a audience, an audience-minded character makeup. And just to briefly touch on The Lord of the Rings, I that's the movie that came to my mind when you were talking about um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how it, you know, it grips you and then it ends and it lets go. Um, and that's because it's dragging you along the whole time, right? With with one action sequence after another, with one uh, plot twist, next scene, transition, character, whatever, after another, character introduction, I guess I could say. Um, when you're when you're kind of foraging your own path, thinking of how you would thinking of how you would handle the decisions that the characters in the Lord of the Rings make or trying to understand how they feel and I guess being able to, um, I think that's where this kind of division comes is because a lot of people that I talk to Lord of the Rings, I talk to about the Lord of the Rings, they'll say, Oh, it's like too long. I couldn't really get into it. I, I got bored. I fell asleep. I don't know if you hear these things a lot, but I do. And I think that's why is because it's not it's not dragging them along just to let go at the end, um, like a lot of movies nowadays do. Right. And I think that uh, a lot of uh, this is going to be it's going to sound really cheesy and it like just thinking it, it seems pretty cheesy. But a lot of movies nowadays, they feel like one night stands, right? Like you hit it, you quit it and that's it. You feel great for a second and then you just kind of feel normal after. And a lot of classics, a lot of movies that I hold dear to my heart, it's like a loving, tender relationship. Those movies will always be there for me, right? They're always looking out for me. And like you take Lord of the Rings, for example, and when I watch Lord of the Rings, I watch it as like this culmination of these kind of micro stories, Right. You have um, Gimli learns to accept Legolas as a friend and learns to befriend elves. You have Aragorn finding his willingness to be the king that he was destined to be. You have Pippin finding his courage and being willing to fight for the land that he lives in. Right. And so when you when you view it as this set of small stories that when you really think about it, the Lord of the Rings could do without all of those, right? Mm-hmm. Sauron can still be defeated without all of those small stories. But the movies become phenomenal because of those small stories. And we don't get a lot of nuance like that in a lot of what I would consider like blockbuster media, right? Um yeah. Hell, we don't even get that in the theatrical cuts of The Lord of the Rings. You have to watch the extended editions to get a lot of that. But again, it's this like loving embrace of a movie versus this like, you know, pump and dump 
kind of feeling that I get from <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's a vulgar way of putting it but that's that's the feeling I get from a lot of these newer films that I go see right like I, I went and saw the newest jackass movie with my brother-in-law recently and it was hilarious but I haven't thought about that movie since then until bringing it up just now versus I watched I watched Lord of the Rings um not this past Christmas, but the last one. So two Christmases ago. And I think about it like every week. <laughs> and right. It's because it's because I feel it, it's, it, it sounds weird. I don't know how it's to put it, but I feel like the movie cares about me because of how much work it put in to just being great and having these great characters and this well-driven narrative versus a movie that was created to entertain me for just a couple hours right you're you're being understood you're being you're being validated and recognized yeah uh, yeah versus just simply having you know immediate gratification to uh, an emotion and being able to pass the time quickly because you know you don't want to have to lay in bed and think so you just occupy your brain with um the instagram scrolling equivalent of of a movie right exactly and i think that um you know we we've talked about mainly in this episode we've talked about um, the story, like a good story that makes a movie. And I don't want you viewers or listeners, I don't know if I call you viewers or listeners, that's beside the point, but I don't want you listeners to think that things like cinematography and costume design and sound design aren't important to a movie. But what I want you to understand is that the characters and the narrative are the most important parts of a movie, right? Take something like Napoleon Dynamite. They literally, they just, they threw characters into clothes they found at Goodwill and called it a day. And then they just had someone on a dolly walk next to these characters. Like the cinematography, technically, when like technically speaking, the cinematography is pretty average. There's nothing impressive. There are no really cool wide shots. There are no Dutch angles in that movie. It's pretty bland cinematography and pretty bland costume design. But Napoleon Dynamite as a character is just so engaging and so odd. And as you watch the movie, you kind of learn about him and learn that he just he wants friends. He wants to be liked. He gets picked on and he doesn't know how to make those friends. And so you root for him when he finds friends in Pedro and Deborah, right? Who are just as freaking weird as he is because (laughs) because you've identified with him and because you want to root for him the movie can continue to work its way forward he is the one that drives the story forward right and all of that other stuff all the technical stuff kind of can take a back seat because of how well written that character is right not that it's not important obviously you wouldn't want to film you know, they didn't film Napoleon Dynamite on like a Motorola Razor cell phone or something, but maybe they could have. I, I probably would still have watched it, you know? 
Right. Yeah. And I think to touch on the point that you're trying to make is when when you're it's it's kind of like what I was talking about earlier when you're trying to think of, oh, we need something eye catching. We need something cool. What's cool lately? What's trendy? And the what's missing from that is the why. Why in Lord of the Rings do the orcs and the characters in the fight scenes and the in the war scenes have meticulous co- costume design and makeup to talk about a good movie with extreme attention to detail when it comes to uh, screenplay aspects the why behind that is i believe what makes it is what makes the difference you know why why does this movie look so good because it's driving a feeling home Versus it's trying to get people to sit in a theater. And, it, you know, in The Lord of the Rings, it feel we're able to feel the fear of the hobbits who are who have never seen anything like this. And we're able to feel what, you know, what it would be like to be on that to be on that battlefield versus just to just to watch a cool. A cool suit of armor punching a cool dinosaur thing um, like we talked about with Pacific Rim. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that you really hit the nail on the head with talking about why things were done the way that they were. And obviously I can't get into the mind of a lot of these directors. Um, but I can speak to what I've heard in interviews and such And to go back to Lord of the Rings and um, Peter Jackson's vision for those movies when he directed them, um, he's stated in interviews that his goal was to simply tell the story that Tolkien had wrote. Their goal when making those movies was to stay away from politics and their own stylistic choices and their own thoughts of the direction the story should go and just tell the story right and i think i think that's why the narrative is so gripping is because their entire goal was to just tell a story that was the whole point and there were a lot of people that thought those movies were going to be huge flops and i think a big contributor to their success was peter jackson's willingness to take a step back look at the um the scope of the story that he was given and just tell it as best as he could and i think he did a phenomenal job right and i think the same could be said for an original story not just an adaptation if that's the focus then you're you're bound to produce something good because you you under you understand why you're making it so yeah i i totally agree um and like i mentioned i i don't want everyone to think that we uh, we as hosts think that um the technical aspects of film are not important and maybe we can even do another episode about um how a lot of those technical aspects make a film or add at least to a film. Um, But I think the whole point of this episode is to drive home that 
characters and narrative are really what make your story, right? Showing versus telling, having fleshed out characters and letting your characters drive the story forward rather than letting the story pull your characters forward. Right. Yeah. And I could have said, couldn't have said it better myself. Um, and speaking of that, I, I want to invite you all to um, let us know if there's anything that we missed. Um, are there any fantastic movies or forms of media out there that you've been able to watch or read that have done something so well and you'd like to kind of add to this discussion? Um, if so, feel free to let us know and, and um, maybe we can address those things and talk about them in future episodes and um, maybe you'll be able to make a point that we weren't able to um, as we have limited time and um, limited perspectives. I think it's uh, been made clear things that we find important. And um, so naturally there's going to be things that we might've missed. Yeah, absolutely. We, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, we want to hear from you guys what you think about our points of view and we want to hear your points of view that's the whole point of this entire show is to create a space where we can all dive deeper into these pieces of media that we love right so shoot us an email let us know what you think and interact with us we want to hear from you guys yeah absolutely and be sure to remember to Give us your lesser-known media recommendations, and um, we might just take a look at some of them and mention them on the show. So um, that's going to do it for today's episode about what makes a movie good. Please check out our episodes that we, our other episodes that we've already made, and um, give us some feedback and give us some love with um, likes, reviews go a long way. And um, all that good stuff to help support the show if you want to see more um, ideas for future content, all that good stuff, so that we can keep doing this thing that we love. And with that, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Take care. <laughs>